Lord, as uh, that previous song declared, we should fight the battles on our knees. And so we begin just bowing our heads and our hearts to you this morning, thinking about how we are utterly dependent upon you for everything. I pray that as the word is preached, Lord, that uh, it would go forth with boldness by your spirit, that each person who would be a believer here would be encouraged, would be challenged, convicted, corrected, spurred on to excel still more. And we pray, Father, for anyone who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ today, that as they hear the gospel message, that their hearts would be restless over their sin and their need of a Savior, and that Jesus Christ would be beautiful to them in his saving work. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Prayer is warfare. The Bible often uses terminology that pictures the Christian life as engaging in a spiritual battle. Peter describes us as aliens and strangers in the world, and he urges us to abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against our souls. 1 Peter 2.11 James says that our sinful desires wage war within us in his book, chapter 4, verse 1. And Paul tells us to be good soldiers. And of course, the imagery of warfare comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. We're going to look at that passage for a few moments in our introduction to prayer, but then we're going to dive into the book of Colossians in chapter 4 in a moment. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 sets up this idea of a battle and spiritual warfare And we're taught that we need strength for this warfare. Verse 10 says, Finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. You feel that you need strength? We should see that we need the Lord's strength. And we need to know our enemies. In verse 11 it says, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our our enemies are Satan and the demons that are associated with him. And we have a picture here of warfare against an army that has... Seemingly rank structure under the leadership of Satan. And so we need armor for our defenses, a spiritual armor. In verse 13 he says, Therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore having, your girded, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation. Stop there for a moment. We need the spiritual armor to fight this warfare. Verse 16 causes me to think about Israel's conflict with Hamas right now. 
Hamas fires all of these rockets into the air. And Israel has this defense system called Iron Dome, which launches missiles up to counter these rockets and to blow them up in the air. Satan and his demons can put before us a bombardment of all kinds of temptations and idolatry and false teaching. But we can extinguish them with the, the armor, having our minds set on things and captive to things like truth and righteousness and the gospel and faith and salvation. God has given us these resources to combat our enemies in this spiritual warfare. And we need weapons for this warfare. And we have one mighty one, it says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So prayer is warfare. But prayer is also wrestling. Paul often uses sports analogies in his writings. For instance, he, he speaks of running a race in various passages. But in verse 12 of this same passage of Ephesians 6, he uses the imagery of wrestling. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against these rulers and powers. The King James Version translates it, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. My sons Caleb and Luke have had the opportunity to wrestle on their high school team and and in wrestling, you're taught to come to the fight with an aggressive, relentless, and tenacious offensive strategy. You anticipate the whistle and you force your opponent from the start of the match to wrestle your style by initiating first. We should think that way in our prayer, in our use of the word, because you can be sure that Satan and demons are ready. They've been studying humans for thousands of years. You want to keep your opponent off balance in wrestling by continuously attacking and using combinations of head snaps down and faking attacks and half shots and the objects to score points and to ultimately you hope to pin your opponent. We need to be aggressive in our wrestling spiritually. Warfare and wrestling are, are great illustrations for picturing the urgency and the necessity of prayer. You individually need a disciplined prayer life. And a church needs a culture of prayer. Let's look at it in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Here Paul gives us five characteristics of the type of of warrior we need to be, the, the prayer warrior that each one of us is called to be. And first I want to say to you that you need to be a devoted prayer warrior. Verse 2, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. To devote yourself to something involves getting fully into it. Giving yourself over to it, using your time and your resources and your energy for a purpose. My, my son Seth is an officer in the army and at the drop of a hat they have to be able to mobilize and go and accomplish their mission. 
with precision. This requires discipline. It requires constant training, keeping themselves fit. They have to sometimes instantly be able to grab their rucks and hike for 17 miles. And they need to maintain their marksmanship with their weapons. And they need to be ready to drive vehicles at night with nothing more than night vision goggles. Prayer, too, requires gritty, gritty determination. It, it requires practice. It requires consistency. It, it, requires giving, it requires giving it your all, never giving up until you get answers from God. You can see this type of tenacity sometimes in sports, uh, Coach Dabo Sweeney at the Clemson Tigers has a slogan for the team with two simple words, all in, all in. He explains that this isn't just a slogan, but it's a way of life. And it's about being committed to doing the best you can with what you've got. It's about being fully committed to the task at hand. When it comes to prayer... Are you all in? Are you all in when it comes to prayer? Now we really think of prayer as a privilege. When you think about prayer, you ought to want to be all in because you think about what prayer really is. In the simplest form, prayer is talking to God. A more expanded definition comes from something like the Westminster Larger Catechism, which says, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God in the name of Christ by the Holy Spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. Prayer is the language of creaturely dependence. What an amazing privilege. We have a great high priest, do we not? He died for our sins. He propitiated the wrath of God. And he's defeated death. And he's rendered the devil powerless. Hebrews 2.14. And in verse 18 it says, He was tempted in every way and is able come to, to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Isn't that encouraging? And he can sympathize with our weaknesses, we see in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, and serves as our mediator so that we may draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Shouldn't that make you want to pray? We've been adopted into God's family. We are his sons and his daughters and we have his spirit within us by which we, we understand and feel that relationship with God as his child. And he's our father. And so we cry out, Abba, Father, help me. And God loves to be asked for things. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8, it says, The prayer of the upright is his delight. In Revelation chapter 5, Tells us that the prayers of the saints are like bowls of incense being offered up to him. 
It's a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Every Christian needs a discipline of devotion to prayer, and every church needs a culture of prayer. At the beginning of the church, we see the disciples gathered in the upper room, and they're waiting for the Lord to send the promised Holy Spirit. And it says in Acts 1.14 that these, with all, one, all in one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Two other verses from Acts show this as well. After many were saved, the early believers, it says, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, Acts 2.42. And later, when the church had grown so much that the apostles needed men to be chosen, selected to help care for the widows... They said that they would devote themselves to prayer and to the teaching of the word. Acts 6.4 So we can see that a church ought to have a culture of prayer. Now, we've talked about our church culture a lot of times and our philosophy of ministry, our distinctives. And Pastor Scott, since he's been here, has focused, first of all, on the distinctive of Christ-centeredness. He is our focus. He is our Savior. We also have a, a, a culture that is endeavoring to be Scripture-saturated, that all of our ministries would have uh, as a center of focus Christ and His Word, that we would expositionally preach through His Word and teach through His Word. And We also have striven to be a, a friendly loving, receptive, hospitable church. And now we want to emphasize that we want to be known for being a praying church. Do you want that? Now we have to be careful not to be judgmental about a church by holding it to some type of a man-made standard or a traditional standard. For instance, many churches, in a good way, have had a special service called a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. And they've had special groups gather for prayer or, or maybe a prayer ministry. But we don't want to judge a church so much by the things that it has, the ministries it has, the events that it has, but rather more by whether they actually pray. That's the true test. And by God's grace, I would say we are a praying church. Let me give you some examples. I don't know if you knew, we mentioned it sometimes, but... The elders devote special attention to pray for each and every one of you in our prayer meetings, in our elder meetings. We go through the directory. We, we pray for segments. We, we think about who knows these people the best and share with us how they're doing and what some needs might be. And if you have needs, please always share those with us. Our staff meetings spend a, a third of the staff meeting sharing and praying. My experience has been that every BFG, every community group, every discipleship group, every counseling session, and many other ministries always have some segment devoted to prayer. 
And every service we are in contains prayer. But as Paul exhorts the Thessalonians, we need to always excel still more, right? We need to remind ourselves not to just pray, not just to make sure that we have a time of prayer, but that we actually pray with our hearts. We see the necessity of prayer, that we see the effectiveness of prayer, that we see the glorification of God in prayer. And therefore, we would give ourselves holy to it when we pray, that it wouldn't be a rote thing, that it wouldn't be a traditional thing, that it wouldn't be a meaningless thing to us in our minds or a haphazard thing or a lazy thing. Talk about prayer. Encourage one another to pray. Practice prayer. Let me encourage you to do this. When, when somebody tells you something about themselves and they, they say, would you please pray for me? Now, now that in itself is a vulnerable thing. That in itself is, is hard to do for some people. But don't just say, I'll pray for you. But really pray for them. But maybe even right then pray for them. Put your arm around them. Sit down beside them. I would love to see many different groups of prayer after a service or when some burden is shared or gathering in a corner or at a seat or whatever. People just actually praying because they're burdened with a need. So we need to see where we are praying. But then it's also... Good, it's great to have special meetings for prayer. To have groups, to have services sometimes. I want you to know that we're going to have just such a meeting on June 16th, Wednesday night at 6.15. Gather here, I'd love to see many, many people in this worship center to pray. And we're going to teach you how to pray for an hour. And we will do it. If you'd like to be part of a, of a ministry of prayer, to try to continue to foster the culture of prayer, please see me. Well, Paul doesn't just encourage us to be devoted to prayer, but also to be alert in it. Alert in prayer. Notice verse 2 continues. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. This is the manner of prayer to be to be alert doesn't just mean to be awake i might be awake in the morning but i'm not very alert but be quick to to notice things and and to have a determined alertness to think through what's happening what might happen an, an anticipation if you just think about a, a watchman or a guard for a castle or some type of camp, they're supposed to be awake but also alert, thinking of the possible dangerous situation that might occur. And we do have enemies, don't we? It's certainly what we face today in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Do you believe that? 
If you had a roaring lion running around your neighborhood, I think you would be alert. Is it, is it safe to go outside right now? Where are my kids? What happened to the dog? You know, we need to take this seriously. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, we read that earlier. It says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with perseverance and petition for all the saints. We have enemies every day that are lurking, uh, attacks without from Satan and demons. We also have the world trying to put all of its philosophies out there to just inundate us, to make us feel like we're just, we're just not with it, that we need to change from their perspective all of the idolatries. And we have even from our own hearts our sinful inclinations and desires. We need to be alert to all of this. We need to pray that we'd recognize this. In Luke 26, it gives us a great example of Jesus' teaching on just this very thing. Just before Judas betrays him, and we see that Satan entered Judas to betray him, and he's going to be arrested and then crucified. In Luke 26, 36, says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came up to the disciples and found them sleeping. And Peter said, and he said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to pray that our hearts would be deeply burdened. That we would fall on our faces in prayer. That, that we would keep watching and keep praying with perseverance. And that we would not fall into temptation. Laziness in prayer is one of our worst enemies. So we need to be dependent. We need to submit to the Father's will as we see Jesus doing. Next, Paul calls each of us to be a thankful prayer warrior. That is the attitude of prayer. This theme of thankfulness just permeates the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, we see some examples of this. Paul says... Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Three times in that section he says, with thankfulness, giving thanks. When we pray, as we saw earlier, the the great privilege that prayer is, we need to pray with thankfulness. Just think of all the things that we should inform our minds with and inform our prayers with that we have to be thankful for. I don't care what your difficult situation or your mental state or your attitude or or your feelings are, when you just start giving thanks, it'll change you. There's so many things to be thankful for. Being thankful for your salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, the fact that you have a a God who loves you and you're you're no longer going to face the wrath of God. That you have heaven, a new heavens and a new earth awaiting you. That God's going to do away with all the pain and all the suffering and all the crying and all the death. We're going to see him one day. We're going to be like him. Thank God for all of his promises. Thank God for all that he has done. Thank God for what he's doing in your life today and and what he's put in your life. All the things that he's blessed you with. And then keep on thanking him into eternity. As you do an evaluation of your own prayers, how thankful are you? How much time do you give just to thanking God? Consider this. Complaining is the language of hell. Thankfulness is the language of heaven. Which comes more frequently from your mouth? Listen to the language of heaven from the book of Revelation. Three verses. In Revelation 4, 9 it says, And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. 7, 12. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And 11.17, we give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. So be thankful. Be a thankful prayer warrior. Fourth, be an intercessory prayer warrior. Intercession involves praying for other people. The Apostle Paul in verse 3, makes a specific prayer request. He says, praying at the same time for us as well. Paul sees himself as part of a ministry team in his missionary journeys. And he knows that they need prayer. He asks for prayer on numerous occasions. Romans 15, 30 is an example. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. We strive with one another as we pray for one another. Missionaries, pastors, 
your friends, your family. They need you to strive together with them in prayer. And, and it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. Because it's so invisible, isn't it? You know, God is invisible. But those of us who have faith, we, we, we see with our spiritual eyes that he exists. We believe that he exists. And the scriptures even say and tell us, and we know from ourselves that we love him, whom we've never seen. This is a mystery. But also the mystery, even though we have a sovereign God who knows all things, who created all things, who upholds and sustains all things, we have a God who works all things to the counsel, after the counsel of his will, that he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He works everything in such a way that he includes the prayers of his people. That's beautiful. But we have the privilege and opportunity to be a part of this. Simply put, we should be people who pray for people. Now, it's good to pray a hundred specific prayers for, for people, for people going through physical ailments, for people who are losing jobs or need a job or someone who needs a house or there's some particular issue or salvation of their children. But we should also focus highly upon the examples of prayer that we see in Scripture because they are effective for everything. They will affect everything that somebody wants you to pray about. Ephesians 1 is one of those examples in verses 15 through 18. Paul says, Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's not just a whole bunch of spiritual language that Paul is wanting to pour out. These are very practical things that you would, you'd have wisdom, you'd have a knowledge of Christ that's increasing and growing, that your, your hearts would be enlightened, in Philippians, he prays that their love would abound more and more in depth of wisdom and insight. These are beautiful prayers and important prayers for us to pray as well. Number five, we see the characteristic of a prayer warrior ought to be that we are evangelistic prayer warriors. Verses three and four complete this text. Being an evangelistic prayer warrior is extremely relevant for us today. I mean, we are called to fulfill the great commission of making disciples of all nations, but we are totally dependent upon God to save people. But we are a means through which he will save people. We take his word and we preach it, we share it, we encourage people with it, we challenge people with it, and the Holy Spirit convicts regenerates, causes to grow. None of us can save anyone. And we're inadequate for the very purpose of communicating the gospel. 
And we need others to pray for us. That's what Paul asked them to do. And we have a divinely inspired prescription for prayer right in our passage. The most effective way to pray evangelistically. And when we pray this way, therefore, we can be confident that God will answer according to his will. We see four components of this praying evangelistically here. We, we see that we should pray for gospel opportunities. Paul says that God will open up to us a door for the word. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not inclined to go around sharing the gospel with people. That is not my makeup. That is not my giftedness. When I go into a store, there are some people here I know that they're looking for gospel opportunities. They're looking for how to turn a conversation that way. I'm a chicken. So, I pray as a chicken that God would open the door, that he would open the opportunity. And I tell you that I have shared the gospel more than I ever wanted to. <laughs> I'm just being honest from my flesh. But it's amazing, it's, it's beautiful when you see that God just opens a door. That somebody asks you a question that naturally leads to the gospel. Paul uses this metaphor of open doors in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8 and 9. He says, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost... For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. God opened a door for him to, to go in and preach the gospel. After one of Paul's missionary journeys in Acts 14, 27, it says that they arrived and gathered the church together, and they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles sitting on an airplane one time I was headed somewhere I was headed up to uh, Pennsylvania to uh, take my oral exams for my PhD and I was studying feverishly trying to cram that last bit of systematic theology into my mind for whatever question they might ask me and I had this big systematic theology by Wayne Grudem and I was reading and there's this lady sitting next to me, and I'm like, I am not going to look at her. I am not going to think about her. She says, what are you reading? <laughs> I told her what I was reading. She said, well, what's that about? <laughs> well, and so I entered into explaining her, to her what it was about. Turned out that she was headed towards a, uh, a Hindu conference to be a, a yoga leader. And she was telling me, she said, oh, Jesus Christ is my spirit guide. 
said, well, I'm not sure you know who Jesus Christ is. And so then I had the opportunity to explain to her. <clears throat> God can make you share the gospel. <laughs> he can pry it out of you. Obviously, we should be more willing and eager than that. But the key is prayer. Praying for opportunities, praying for open doors. We see this all the time in Scripture. And then praying for open hearts. The first convert in Europe was Lydia. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, it says, The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. When God opens a heart, you can't do anything about it. You can't stop. You can't close the door back. Not that we would want to, of course. But it's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? When the, the eyes are enlightened and they understand the word, they see how much of a sinner they are, they see their need for a Savior, and they just start expressing scriptural truths that they have embraced. And you have the privilege of just walking them through the truth. Pray for open doors. Pray for open hearts. And pray for the words to say. He, he says to pray for us so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. In the parallel passage, uh, Ephesians 6, 19, he says, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth. The mystery of Christ we see earlier in uh, Colossians is Christ himself. Uh, it is the truth about him. And Paul teaches us very eloquently in the first couple of chapters of Colossians that he is the fullness of God dwells in him. That he is the creator that he has accomplished our redemption. Talks about the forgiveness of sins and, and all of these things. I mean, you can just go on and on and on through the book of Colossians and you see that God has inspired Paul to have all of these truths that he conveys to the Colossians. <clears throat> and then the Apostle Paul says, but pray for us. Pray for us that we will be able to speak forth the mystery of Christ. And even further, he prays for boldness. He says, Pray that I'll be speaking about the mystery of Christ that he has given me. He says, For which I have been imprisoned. So Paul is sitting there in prison saying, Pray for opportunities and pray for boldness and the words to say. I'm like, Paul, you know the words to say. You wrote them. But that's encouraging to me. That even the Apostle Paul knew he was dependent upon the Spirit to continue to know and be convinced of and fully persuaded about the truth of these things and to proclaim them with clarity. And that's what he prays for in the end there, verse 4. Verse four he says, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. 
Those are things to pray for. Pray for your own boldness. Pray for the open doors. Pray for the open hearts. Pray that God will give you the words to say, that he'll give you clarity when you speak it. You believe God can do that? He can use you. Any one of you. Every one of you. Pray and to be dependent upon him. When you're around those neighbors, when you're gathered with family, God can do it. God answers prayer. It was amazing. Uh, have uh, three three daughters that I one time wanted to connect with about spiritual things, and I just prayed one Wednesday night that I'd be able to talk to them about the gospel and about some spiritual issues as well for one of them. And the next day, one emailed me and two others called me. Just out of the blue. Not a regular occurrence. God gave me those opportunities. He didn't have to do that, but what a blessing. But you've got to be praying. You've got to be devoted to prayer if you're going to see answers to prayer. Let me finish with just encouraging you about taking steps to be a devoted prayer warrior. First of all, decide on a time and a place. It's true that we're to pray without ceasing, as Paul tells us. We're to have a continual life in a relationship and fellowship with God throughout the day. And that's beautiful. But I truly believe that our on-the-go communication with God is fueled by special designated times of quiet focus before Him, of deep thinking and talking with God about the issues that we can think about, the issues of our life, the, the sins in our life, the, the desires of our heart. So decide upon a place and a time for this meeting with God and schedule it. Schedule it into your day. I like to go for a walk. I like prayer walks a lot of times. But think about simply making it a priority, being devoted to prayer. And second, decide how long to pray. Don't let this overwhelm you. You know, sometimes we have this idea that a prayer warrior is going to be in their prayer closet and they're going to be on their knees and they're going to be there for hours. I had a seminary student one time tell me, you know, I'm sure you pray probably three or more hours a day. I said, no, and you're very convicting to me right now, but but make a reasonable goal so that you can be successful. If you don't pray at all, go for five minutes, okay? Start out with some time of prayer, and I can bet you that if you start praying, it's pretty hard to stop. 
Because you cannot exhaust all the things you need to talk to God about. Just, just start and let that stream of consciousness. You know, a lot of people have guides. You know, the book of Acts, uh, the, letter, the letters can be for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We have different ways of giving order to our prayers. You can follow a psalm. You can follow the Lord's Prayer as some stimulus and some starters for praying. But just talk to him. If you come to our concert of prayer on uh, June 16th, we'll teach you through a prayer wheel how to pray for an hour at least. And decide what to pray. Begin just by praying scripture like what I just referred to. Take a psalm. And just read through it and let each verse kind of just stimulate in your mind thoughts for you to pray. There's praises in there. There's thanksgiving in there. There are special requests in there. There are pouring out your heart with problems and and not seeing God answer and saying, How long, O Lord, will you forsake us forever? And things like that. We need your favor. As you grow, you can obtain and grow in all kinds of categories to pray for, but the key is to start. That's my challenge to you all. This week, every day, schedule a time to pray and be on your way to being a prayer warrior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity just to be reminded from the Word of God about prayer. Simple. You call us to just talk to you and thank you that you are our Father, that you love us so much, that you care for us and you want to hear from us. It is amazing that my prayers could be seen as incense to you, something that is a sweet aroma that you care about. and father thank you so much that uh, we have the privilege because we don't deserve it we're sinful and we have we have sinned against your holy word and against you and yet you forgive us because of Christ as we go to start communion right now Lord we pray that we would remember what he has done on our behalf. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.